Welcome to the Fit Archer Podcast, my friends. I'm your host, J.P. Penscover. On episode 30 of the podcast, I bring on my friend Justin Jensen, a.k.a. J.J., and have a great conversation. J.J. is just a killing machine, and when you guys get an opportunity to follow him on social media, which I'll put on the show notes, you're going to see he's got piles and piles of whitetails, uh, elk, deer, turkey, caribou, mountain lion, you name it. The guy's chasing animals all over the place. Back from the town that I grew up in, uh, well, lived in after I, I graduated high school, and I got to know JJ a little bit. I haven't talked to him for a while, but I just couldn't wait to get him on the podcast with all the success. He just he got an elk this year in 2020 on a do-it-yourself public land hunt archery. Then he shot a Minnesota whitetail, filled that archery tag, and then just filled his Min- or Wisconsin archery whitetail tag and now he's headed to nebraska probably to fill that one he filled a south dakota antelope tag as well so he's been hunting all over the midwest and and the west and doing really really good we have a great conversation just catching up and and uh finding out about his hunts what what he does how he does it tips tactics and gear the whole thing that we go through on the podcast so i hope you enjoyed as much as i do we are now in november 5th of 2020 and you know i don't know when people will ever listen to this podcast it could be in the future Obviously, it won't be in the past, but we are in the midst of two days after the circus of election that we've had in America. And, you know, all I can really encourage you to do is is uh, wake up every single day and, and be a good human. Be good to, to everybody around you. Love God. Love people. And uh, make the most of all of it. You know, whether the election goes the way that you had hoped for, it doesn't go the way you hoped for. Ultimately, at the end of the day, you're the president of your own life, president of your family, and president and CEO. So you got to make the decisions and, and you got to play within the cards that you're dealt. And so, you know, if something doesn't go your way, you just, just figure out a way to make it work, grind and grind and grind and uh, get a little bit of luck, pray to God. We always say like, uh, work as if it's all up to you, but pray because it's all up to God. So thanks for being a loyal supporters and listeners of the podcast. I want to thank JJ and all my good friends that jump on the podcast and hope to continue to bring you good episodes. So God bless you and God bless America. You are listening to the Fit Archer Podcast. All hunting, all fitness, all the time. JJ, what's going on, buddy? Not too much. Just just packing away here. Yeah, we just had like a 15-minute conversation. I'm like, I keep got to tell you, like, stop. Let's uh, save <laughs> right? this for the podcast. <laughs> I hear you. I hear you. But uh, no, man, it's it's, uh, uh, it's been a while. I haven't talked to you and other than just social media for, you know, we chat back and forth, but I haven't seen you in person probably in, gosh, I don't know, maybe 10, 12 years. Yeah, it's good. Yeah, it's probably been that long. Lacrosse archery back in the days when we were always shooting against each other. Yeah, well, I never shot against you. I just shot kind of close to you. You were yeah. way better shooter than I was. So I just like to be around you guys, you and Tom and of course, I could always beat Dan. I know he's going to listen to this. I could always beat Dan. <laughs> right. Yeah, there was always that. <laughs> so, well, tell me um, and the listeners, like, who you are, where you're from, you know, that kind of stuff. What? Uh, who is JJ? Who's Justin Jensen? Yeah, I'm, I'm JJ. Uh, I'm, I'm out of La Crosse, Wisconsin. I actually live in Gillsville, just a few miles north of La Crosse. Um, and I just love to chase whitetails with a bow and arrow, really. Um, anything actually, but whitetails is my, my passion around here. When did you, um, where did you grow up? I grew up on, in La Crosse on the North side, um, French Island actually for the most, the majority of my younger years. And then, uh, 
I think when I was just about to high school, my mom moved to the north side of La Crosse. So we were right in the city. You know, I was shooting squirrels out of my out of my back door with my bow, trying not to get in trouble. And, yeah. <laughs> you know. Did you, growing up over on French Island, did you do a lot of waterfowl hunting? Um, well, I did. Not really on French Island, though. So I had, a, you know, split parents. My dad lived on Bryce's Prairie, which is, you know, um, just under under home in there. And uh, we did. I did a lot of waterfall hunting with him. Um, we got a couple of airboats that we cruise around in the swamps with. And, and uh, his passions, waterfall hunting, where, you know, I like to do that with him and, and still get out to this day doing it with him. Yeah. So how did you end up getting into archery? Cause I mean, you're a, you're a diehard archer. You're hunting all over. You're leaving tomorrow. We'll talk about that, but you are, you're just a, you're a nut when it comes to archery hunting. Yeah. It, uh, you know, just from an early age, cause you know, and actually that's how I remember it with my dad, you know, we'd, we'd go out duck hunting in the morning and then, you know, he'd always take me with him bull hunting in the evenings. You know, I would back in that day, it was, you know, platform, wooden platform stands and a couple five gallon pails up there that you sat on. And, and I would just always tag along with them and sit in the stand with them and probably bug the shit out of them, you know? <laughs> so did but, you, uh, did you gun hunt back then too? Uh, yep. Yep. I don't remember you know, when I was younger, I didn't go out gun hunting with them a lot. Um, until I was 12, you know, then once I was 12, then I, I gun hunted quite often, you know, during gun season, but, uh, I never really tagged along with him during the gun, gun deer season. Yeah. It's different for, you know, out West here, many different seasons. So like you and I were just talking, you know, we got gun deer seasons that stretch from mid October all through December in all different units, all different game, you know, late rifle bull, late rifle deer, early, you know, youth hunts, everything like that. But in Wisconsin, when you're growing up, like when I grew up, and I'm a, I'm a little bit older than you are, it was a national holiday. Like gun deer oh. season was national. Nine days, we had a form. There was actually a form that the schools gave you. You had to fill out, and you got out Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, because gun season started on a Saturday, like the third Saturday in November, and then yep. Saturday, Sunday, and then we'd take off Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, and then Thanksgiving was Thursday, Friday, you're off school and then we would hunt nine days, but there's six, 700,000 people would hit the woods with a rifle. Oh yeah. Yeah, for sure. Um, I mean, I remember it clearly cause I was, I'd always go up to my grandparents, I think, you know, and, and I'd see them, they'd all be up early in the morning. I mean, there was, you'd have family members everywhere, you know, going out in the woods. Um, I just, I never got to tag along. I don't know if they thought that, you know, I was going to, gonna do something stupid or whatnot but uh i didn't get to tag along but i, I do remember you know because once i turned 12 that was that was the you know the ticket that's every every kid in school was amped up to get out of school a little early like you said you know we didn't have a form but you just you know you knew where you were going that day you know people were leaving early nonstop on friday to to head up north or or wherever they went i remember um my very first, well, this is how serious it was. So we, I talked about the school form we had. There was also an insurance form. My grandma, my grandma and grandpa used to take out an insurance form on all, on my, me, myself, and my, or me, my brother, and my dad. And we would have to sign it. So she was taking out insurance policies on us in case something happened. I mean, and it was a deer hunting insurance policy. But I remember, just like you, I never really tagged along with my dad before I was 12 years old, because that's what that's the age you needed to be in Wisconsin to hunt at that time. I know they've opened it up, which I think is great. Um, yep, yep. 
but I used to, you know, I used to squirrel hunt and and do all the different kind of go go with him when he was squirrel hunting and, and grouse hunting and rabbit hunting when before I was twelve. But at twelve, you know, before twelve, I never tagged along deer hunting either. I think it's because those guys were so serious, like they wanted to get their deer, so they didn't want us little rugrats coming around. But I remember my first year, twelve years old, and we pulled up to this land to hunt, and somebody had bought it. So we, my dad had hunted it for years, and we rolled up there, and the new owners are like, "I'm sorry, we own this land." Now they bought it like a week before gun deer season. And so oh, here man. we are, you know, this is like a vacation. They were nice enough to let us hunt the, the, that first day. They said, you can hunt today. And then you, you got to go somewhere else. But I remember I, my dad was big on ground blinds. So he had built me a ground blind, you know, and I was sitting in it and I had some, I had a four Ruger 44 Magnum. It looks like a 10 22, but it's a 44. And it's the greatest gun semi-automatic. And I had some does coming up behind me and I can, I'll never forget trying to aim at those deer. I was sitting by myself in my adrenaline, like I could, I was hyperventilating. I was so nervous and I shot and obviously I missed him. My dad came over and I was the biggest liar when I was a kid. Like <laughs> I told my dad, I shot at a buck. I, if my dad hears this, he's going to chuckle. There are so many times I tell my dad, like I get back to, you know, meet up with him. He's like, you see anything? I'm like, yeah, I saw a nice buck, but I couldn't get a shot at it. And I never even seen a deer. Like I was such a, a terrible liar. I don't know why. But those are my memories of uh, my first gun deer season. Then I never shot. I didn't shoot a deer with my gun until I was, I think I shot a doe maybe three years later and uh, got some other stuff. Anyway, uh, you know, I was a big liar. So I, uh, I regret that now. And uh, I don't know why I was that way, but I just remember the adrenaline and all that kind of stuff of first year gun deer season. So I just wondered yeah. how, how you were at that age. So I, I remember mine, you know, um, I remember bull hunting and I remember, you know, uh, I actually had hit a buck with my bull the, the first year when I was 12. And, um, that's actually kind of what started me in the bull hunting side of things. Cause after I did that, my dad made me stand up on the roof and shoot and shoot and shoot and shoot until I could, you know, put six arrows into the kill zone on a 3d target, you know? And, uh, that started it but opening day of gun season i'll never forget it you know went out and he walked me down to my stand and you know he said i'm just going to be right over here you know and and watch the field behind you whatever not and uh, he had just gotten out of sight you know and, and i turned around and here's a couple deer out in the field and i thought man like i think i can shoot those you know and, and i just had a 12 gauge slug gun no scope you know just a just a bird beat on the end of my barrel and I was aiming and I shot, you know, and I shot again. And I, I, to this day, I have no idea how I hit him. Um, but you know, my dad came back over, he says, okay, where were they? And I said, out in the field. And he's like, we're out in the field, you know? And, and, uh, I just said out that way. And I, to this day, I still, I, I thought for sure he was going to go out there and come back and tell me he missed him, you know, but he went out there and he found blood right away. And we took up the trail and just a short while later, you know, I was staying over, I think it was a six pointer or, or whatever, but, uh, you know, I was super excited. And the following year I was sitting in a different stand and it was, you know, that same amount of excitement and a, a good buck came in and I, I shot off, I think I shot five times at it, you know, with that slug gun and, told my dad, I'm like, it was right there. I know I hit him and, and he never found blood. And it was a clean miss because a buddy of ours who was sitting out further, seeing the deer go by him. And it was, he's like, there wasn't a scratch on that deer. So, but I told my dad that day, I, I swear I hit that thing. I know I hit him, you know, 
but it, uh, the excitement took over and, and that was that. <laughs> I, I laugh when you say, you know, using a shotgun or slug barrel with a bird beat. I got a friend that hunts up in Minnesota and, you know, he's in some prime, he's hunting really, really good land, Southern Minnesota there. And he's killed some good bucks. And when I was with him, I never knew it. I knew it was shotgun only up there. And then when I was together with him, he said something. I said, what do you use for a slug gun then? And she got a scope. He goes, like, no, I use my old 870 pump. And I'm like, oh, you got a <laughs> rifle barrel? He's like, no, I got a just a bead on the end. And I just I just had to laugh. Like, <laughs> like you shoot these oh. things with a bead. Like at 50 yards, the bead's got to cover like the whole chest cavity of the deer, doesn't it? Oh, yeah. I mean, yeah, for sure. I when we used to sight them in, I, you know, we would sight in out to 80, 80, 100 yards. And yeah, it, you know, you're aiming in, in the back of the day, you're aiming at that big orange spot or whatever, but yeah, the bead took it, took most of it up. And that's when you kind of knew. And, and, uh, to this day, that's, I still shoot some archery like that, you know, in uh, spots and stuff. I like to have, I like to have my aiming dot basically cover everything. Huh? Yeah. That's, a, it, that's neat. You don't see the movement as much, you know, so it helps, helps quite a bit. You know, calms, you, calms you down a little. Some of the biggest bucks in America probably have been shot with an old bird barrel and a bead. Oh, for sure. And here I am spending mass amounts of money on these fancy rifles. I could just put a slug barrel or a bird barrel on it and right. lobbing slugs at them, right? Oh, yeah. Those fancy rifles are fun, though. Oh, they are. I just picked up a new one um, two days ago. Picked up a 6.5 PRC. I had it built up at this place up in Muley Crazy in uh, utah and then they shipped it down here here's amazing part and you know i won't get political or anything like that but they had to ship it down to an ffl here down in phoenix and i had to go pick it up and it was way down in the city where not a great area and i'm like great i gotta carry guns with me to go pick up a gun because this is not a real real great area i was going into that place yep. was packed with people buying uh. guns and i asked the owner um i said is it busy like this a lot he goes it has been packed every single day we're open because we can't keep guns on. And they are, they're a big, legendary guns. They're a big gun shop, but absolutely packed. And I think that's great. I mean, it shows, you know, that the Second Amendment is strong and why we got to protect it as best we can. Oh, yeah. Yeah, for sure. No, I hear you there. And we're in a, we're in a, this is, what is this today? November 5th? Yeah, November 5th, yep. 2020. So we're two days after the, the great American crap show election that we're <laughs> in the yeah. middle of right now i don't know man it's crazy i've been trying not to pay attention you know i i, I went on i did my vote and and uh i'm trying not to to watch i just want to i just want to get out in the woods and and have peace and quiet you know and you're smart um i started watching tuesday after a baseball game and i stayed up till about 12 30 and i turned it off and i'm like i don't even want I, I kept telling myself don't watch don't watch i did my job i voted my wife voted you know we're doing our job and and then yep. I, started, I tried to watch, I went and watched like a few minutes the next day. And I'm like, it started to make me a little bit mad. And I'm like, nah, let's stay away from it. Just got to do right. what I got. I got to wake up. I got to take care of myself, take care of my family and be a good human every day, regardless of who's in the white house. If I voted for them or not. Exactly. That, that's how it is. And uh, yeah, that's kind of the way I take on it too. I, I, I don't get too political. Um, I, I do have some buddies, you know, that like to talk, talk politics and, uh, if I can find a, a edge to get underneath them, get them a little riled up, you know, I, I'll do that. But that's about as far as my political talks will go. And uh, I just do my thing and I'm just going to continue doing my thing. It's crazy. Um, just on that topic, you know, I've, I've seen more hatred towards people if you're from a different party or different belief than ever before. And I, I just I don't, I don't like it. Uh, you know, I just rather people just, just vote. 
do what you got to do. I know people think differently, you know, and, and people are, if, if it goes one way, not the way that I would vote for, they just think differently than I do. But, you know, so it makes America great. I got to, I got to play with the hand that I'm dealt. I can't right. do my job. And like you said, I just want to keep hunting. <laughs> I exactly. just want to keep yep. going hunting. We got to get up, you know, take care of our families, go to work, hunt. You know, we're not going to be out rioting and, and doing all that stuff. And, and that's just kind of how it is for us, you know? Yep. Yeah. So what about bow hunting? Like, do you remember the first deer you killed? I do. I do. I, I remember it vividly. Um, it was the following year after I had hit that buck and my dad made me stand on the roof for the longest time. Uh, the next year, I, I think he got me out of school early one night, early October. It was kind of a, you know, a cool, cool night. Cold front came in and, and I was, you know, when I was hunting, when I was younger, it was river bottoms. So, you know, you could go, <clears throat> eight days, nine days, 10 days without seeing a deer. And then all of a sudden you'd see one. So he just would get really excited, you know? And, uh, I saw that buck, he was like 15 yards and I drew back and I shot and, and he, he died in five yards. I mean, he, he bounded off and died and, uh, told my dad, you know, I, I got him, I hit him perfect, you know, and he's like, okay, I'll come over. And he came over there and, and here I, I shot him right in the femoral artery. <laughs> so it, uh, it was quick and lethal, but definitely not, you know, not what I was, was expecting. And, and then it was back to the, back to the drawing board again, lots of shooting at 3d targets and stuff. My dad wanted to implement, um, that I, you know, could go out there and, and hit that kill zone all the time. And, and that's basically what got me into competition shooting. So that's awesome. You know, you're fortunate. You're, you're one of the fortunate ones. Not everybody's as fortunate to have a dad that takes them and, teaches them and and you miss a deer or wounded deer and he's up on the roof get shooting until you pack him in there i think that's really good i think that's super important to to have and I, a lot of a lot of my friends that i know that have just a a really really deep appreciation and love for the outdoors are guys like mm -hmm. you and i you know i had a i had a exceptional dad who took me in the outdoors all the time and from a little bitty boy i developed that you know obsession of wanting to be in the woods all the time and we were a little bit different though so i'm obviously i'm a little bit old. how old are you jj 35 35 so i'm 10 years older so when we started hunting we had we didn't have 3d targets like i'd never seen a 3d target we had these little white they were like um two foot high by two foot wide but two inches thick white foam oh yep you remember those with i do remember those yep <laughs> and they never held an arrow so right. we were you know? what, what we did was we draped uh, carpet over the back of them so then when you shot into it it would be stopped by the carpet but i mean we were shooting in town off my dad's roof and then we'd shoot at my grandma's house off her roof and alongside the house and if we could hit you know within the five dots you know so it was like a a, a five on a look like a piece of dice you know the the, the numeral five on a piece of dice if yep. i could hit within that vicinity we were always like that's good well, that's pretty right. good you know <laughs> i was not a good shot at all <laughs> oh it, it uh I actually, you know, I kind of laugh and, and joke with my dad to this day because, I mean, I, I, I travel around now shooting competitions and stuff. And and I kind of say, you know, I'll bet I'll bet back then you didn't you didn't have any idea when you were making me stand out, out on that roof shooting those arrows that, it, you know, it was going to be just an obsession of mine. And, and uh, he kind of he kind of said, you know, he, I I knew you had a, an a addictive mind, so to say, and uh I'm glad it was this and not something else. You know what I mean? Yeah, totally. I mean, why not get addicted to the outdoors and feeding your family and, 
enjoying something instead of something that's not so good. You grew up in a really good area too. Um, when I left high school, you know, one hour away from lacrosse and moved to lacrosse, my uncle had lived there and he introduced us to 3D, uh, 3D shoots, which I think is one of the greatest things for an archer. Just to yep. go to as many 3D shoots and every weekend. This was so incredible. And I know that maybe they've died down a little bit now. I'm not sure. Back by you. But on a Saturday, we could hit two of them. We could hit Chaseburg and we could hit Winona. And then Sunday, we could hit Cooley Archers and Trempolo. You know, we could yep. just travel all over the place. And man, that made such a difference. That amount of shooting to my proficiency of being able to, you know, shoot animals. So you grew up in a good area where you got a lot of those great opportunities. Oh, 100%. I, um, yeah, I remember that in high school. I, I mean, I probably traveled with you even a, a time or two. Um, but there was always a group of us, you know, from lacrosse archery that was doing just what you said. You'd you'd go to Chaseburg and then to Coon Valley and then to Winona and then to uh, Blair or something like that. You know, um, there was always every weekend it was it was happening. And there's still shoots like that around. Um, it's died down a little bit, but you know, there's, there's no shortage. If you wanted to get out and shoot on the weekend, you definitely could find a, a shoot to go to around here. Oh, uh, that's nice. Out here, you get a few shoots. I just went to one, they had 80 targets. So I shot 40 on a, like Friday. And then in between baseball games on a tournament, we had, I shot another 40. I think I shot 40 more on Sunday, but it was the closest 3d shoot but we got a huge archery range out here that has big flat bale targets so you just pay seven bucks and you can stay out there all day long and they got marked range all the way out to 100 you can go farther if you want you know just round round or uh, square bale uh, dot targets you know so got a lot of good things but i do miss the good good old 3ds of camaraderie i shot that one by myself i'm like gosh i should take my kids out of school just so they come with me and i got some company and you know enjoy right. this but it's fun yeah make it a little more enjoyable yeah yeah so um as I'm on your Facebook page here, you've just got piles of whitetails. And I know I want to talk to you right after you shot your elk. You know, one of the reasons I wanted to get you on, number one, just because you're an incredible outdoorsman and I know you and I like you and I think you'd be just great for people to listen to. But I had a, and I want to talk about this at some point, but let's talk about your whitetail first. But I had, I didn't have a good elk season and we really, really thought we were going to. And I talked to multiple other people that didn't have a good elk season. And so as I was driving back from Wyoming, I told myself, I'm like, I'm going to find everybody that I know that kills an elk and I'm going to interview them and find out what they did. So I want to get to that with you in, in a little bit uh, because you okay. had, you had a good elk season, but was it yesterday? Did you just kill another whitetail? Uh, Monday. I sh I sh yeah, it was Monday. And then uh, took pictures and stuff Monday night and put it on Facebook yesterday. So it's been a couple of days yet, but yeah, it uh, wasn't too long ago. <laughs> yeah. So you filled your Minnesota tag. Yep. And that your, was early in the season. Yeah, early in the season. And your Wisconsin tag. So what, uh, talk about those. Tell me about those hunts. So the uh, the Minnesota one, you know, southeast Minnesota, I, I got in on a lease this year. I got, I was really fortunate enough to be invited in with a, a great group of guys, um, a couple guys from Matthews and a, and a couple other big name guys that I, I, I won't, you know, say their names at this time. But uh, I got invited in on this lease and it was it was really cool. It's a big chunk of land over there. And, you know, I, I helped do food plots all summer long because I, I started a little side gig, you know, doing a food plot business. So that's kind of how I got invited in the year before I was, I was hired to do food plots. And then this year I was, I was hired back, but also invited in on the lease. So it was really cool. But, you know, I did all the, did all the work with those guys over there. And, um, you know, there's, there's a good, good number of guys on the lease. So I, I, I kind of had told my one buddy, I said, I'm not going to, 
I'm not going to set any cameras, you know, cause we don't need, you know, three cameras on a tree, you know, around every water hole or, or whatnot. So I, I said, I'm hoping you guys will just kind of give me some information. And I got back from South Dakota hunting and, you know, the other group of guys, they were all heading out West somewhere and it was a cold front coming in. And, and I texted him, I says, Hey, I'm going to shoot over there tonight, you know? And he's like, well, He's like, this wind, you know, hunt here, here, or here. And, and I just like, well, that one's really easy. I know exactly where it is. I'll, I'll pop into that and, you know, until it just for the first night to get a good feel on the property and stuff. And, and sure enough, I was there for like an hour and a half and that buck came out and I, you know, I actually called my friend. I said, Hey, I said, is there, you know, this is the deer that he's like, shoot that thing. And I was like, I'll, I'll give it my best. And it came in 40 yards. I made a great shot and, and that was the that was the gist of my Minnesota season. <laughs> That's pretty quick. So you mentioned this multiple times already. Right? One when you were young, and then now, and you just talked about cold fronts. So I love to give any tips and tactics that people have. Um, talk about cold fronts and what it does to whitetails. Like, why is that such a good? Maybe it's all animals, but why is it so good on on like midwestern whitetails? It just it just seems to get them up on their feet in in daytime hours. You know, get them if it's early in the season, it, it gets them, you know, into their, their feeding, you know, into the food plots or the fields. It, it just seems to get them up a little earlier and, and moving around, um, during that time where, where you can get after them. Um, you know, people talk about the October lull and not this year, but last year and the year before that, and maybe two years before that, I've, I've shot a buck with within a day or two of October 8th, um, you know, give or take a day. And it's always, it always seems like there's a cold front that hits right, right in that time period. And I've had just really good success hunting a field or, or a food plot. And, I, and I've shot some really good bucks during that time when they're up on their feet. So are you, you see, say it's a Wednesday and you see a cold front coming in on Friday. Are you hunting trying to be there on Thursday, you want to be on the day of the cold front, you're going to hunt food sources, or you want to be hunting through that cold front? So, you know, uh, I guess I don't even get that technical because, because I just like to be out there, you know, whenever I can. But if, if I'm not able to hunt, but it, you know, and we'll just say, for instance, it's 76 degrees and I see Thursday, you know, Thursday is going to drop down from 76 to we'll say 66, just a 10 degree swing. I want to be out for sure that, that evening when that temperature drop hits. Um, and if it stays cool a few days, you know, for sure, I'm going to hunt those, those next couple days, but I want to be out on the day that that drop hits for me. That's what I've, I've found to be, you know, I've had some really good success on those days. Yeah. It must be bare much. Do you, do you pay much attention to like pressure and all that kind of stuff? I do, you know, I don't, it's not something I look up to, to see for sure what, you know, and I don't even keep track of it, but you know, 30 and above is, is really good. And if I were to ever, you know, look back on the days that I, I was successful, it probably, they would probably go hand in hand, you know? Yeah, I think it does some, I've read some, quite a few articles on it and I, yeah, I was always like you when I was whitetail hunting, hot spell, cold spell. If I could get out, I wanted to get out. But I mean, yep. if, obviously if a cold front was coming, I, I, I understood that was better, but I would read about that barometric pressure and it was for wildlife and, and fish as well. Like it did something to them. 
something to their feeding frenzy or whatever it did. But like you said, it puts them up on their feet. And so then when you got cold fronts coming in, you like to be in food sources. For sure. Yep. What about yep. during, what about during the rut? If a cold front comes in, same thing, you want to be on food sources or, or now you doing your typical, you hunt some bedding areas, travel routes or what? Yeah. Morning, mornings I'll, I'll hunt, you know, close to the bedding areas or, or on some travel routes, but in the evenings I'm, I'm heading back to the food. Um, I've just, you know, and I've heard some other guys that have said it before that they, you know, they don't think that you can kill big bucks over food, but, um, I've, I've had really good success on it and, and it's probably got a lot to do with little pressure. You know, if you, if you're not pressuring the property and stuff, then it, then it helps a lot. But, um, yeah, if it's, if it's a cold front and it's in the evening and another big thing is a a rising moon during that time too, I just, I'll be sitting on food. So when your friends say you can't kill big bucks on food sources, do you just send them to your Facebook photos? Pretty much. Say, yep. well, I seem to have done pretty good here. <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> well, what's yeah, your... No, it, uh, Go ahead. Well, I was just, you know, it, it that one buck that I, that I, uh, it was a couple of years ago. It was a, it was a big cold front night. It was October 8th and I knew, I knew it was coming in. I said, man, I've had, I've had success on this day before. And I knew this one buck was in the area and I, there was a pond as well. So I, and I was had a couple pictures of him and I was like, I just think he's going to hit there. And so it was clover and in a pond and he, I mean, it was hour and a half before dark and here he is coming down. I'm like, Holy crap. I, you know, I wouldn't have expected that on October 8th, but you know, it, it just kind of worked out really well. And, and that was the, that was the first time that I really started thinking about that cold front. And, and in the years, you know, after that, it's really done good for me. Well, that's good. Yeah, I have a a friend of mine that lives back, and he's got some. He's got a good property up by Tremplo Strum area. And every yep. year, back when I was back there, he'd always get like either him or his neighbor would get pictures of really, really big mature deer, kind of just around that October lull, you know, that mid October, and. Yep. It was always around it, like a cold front, any change in weather or anything like that. So I'd always tell them like, man, we got something coming up. And you know, people would say that like, well, I'm not going to hunt. It's the October lull. I'm just going to stay out and wait till the rut. And I'm like, but the weather's changing. Like this, this is the time of year, like last year and the year before and the year before and the year before, you got giant bucks pictures on their feet during daylight in your food plots and stuff. Like that's when you need to be there. So it's kind of funny that whole October lull. I, I used to get wrapped up into it too when I was back there bow hunting all the time. Like uh, I went three days, never seen anything. I, I want to go again, but I don't. But man, a little change in weather makes all the difference. Yeah, for sure. Um, you know, my dad, my dad doesn't hunt. You know, he, he duck hunts and stuff, but he doesn't bow hunt before generally October 24th ever. And, you know, every year, I've, I've been, you know, having more and more success early. And he always says, man, I just got, I should get out there early. And, and I, I just said, yeah, you know, try and get these when you got a little bit of a pattern. Cause if, to me, if I got a big buck that I want to, I want to pursue, I don't want to wait till the rut because who knows where he's going to be, you know, where early, you know, September, early October, I know, you know, even if it's nighttime pictures, I know he's, he's around, where I want them to be. So then I just wait till it gets cool and, and slip in and, and try and knock them down, you know? Well, they're hound dogs, you know, when the rut comes up and one scent, it could be, you know, two miles away. And if they're the big mature buck, what are they going to do? They're going to go take that girl. Oh, for sure. <laughs> so I, they're gone. My buddy just here two weeks ago, he came up and hunted with me 
And uh, I told him the same thing. I says, you got to be here October 25th. And he came in and he shot a buck the second night. And that buck I've never seen before. And I know a guy hunts, you know, a mile and a half away. And he sent me pictures. He goes, I had that deer a lot early. And sure enough, you know, it was, it was gone. And, and my buddy was able to kill it. And I just said, you know, that's, that goes with what I'm saying. You just never know where they're going to be when it hits that, that rut period. Yeah, exactly. So what about your Wisconsin buck? I'm assuming your second one you just shot the other day was Wisconsin, correct? That, yeah, that was Wisconsin. And that one, that one was, uh, when I was trying to find a morning sit for my buddy who, who came up, um, you know, I, I had this farm set up for a lot of really good evening sits. And I told him, I says, I got to find you a couple morning spots. And I basically was looking at Onyx maps and I found a couple points that looked really good. And we went out and, you know, just put some boots on the ground to check them out. And the one was just littered with scrapes. So I hung a stand there and he never got to hunt it because he actually killed that night. So I had this stand and, and the first time I sat it was, uh, Friday. Um, that would have been the 30th. And I, I saw eight, eight or nine different bucks that morning from that stand. Nothing, nothing big really, but I knew then it was a really good, a really good travel route in between, you know, food and bedding areas and, and just to catch cruising deer. And then it got windy on me. So I waited again until I had the right wind on Monday to go in and it was really slow. I saw one other buck and at 11 o'clock, I caught that guy cruising through and he really kind of caught me off guard. He came from behind me and, uh, I seen him and I'm like, boy, he looks pretty good. So I waited till he, you know, got out of sight walking away from me and they always look really big walking away from me. So I still wasn't sure. And, and I grunted and I hit my rattling horns together a couple of times and he came right back and he was, when he was walking at me, I was looking at him through the binos and it, it, he was raking his horns on branches and, and making a couple of scrapes and grunting. And it was just enough to get me worked up and, and, uh, fill my tag on them. So it was a really exciting hunt. I've never, I've never shot one midday like that before. So were you planning on sitting all day? I mean, you're there till 11. That's a long time. Cause it gets light. What times it get light by you? Um, that was right after daylight savings time. So it actually got light. I think shooting, shooting time was around six ten or, or somewhere in that area, you know, it was starting to get light to where you could see. So that's five hours on stand. Were you planning on doing an all day sit type thing or what were you doing? I wasn't, um, I was actually, I told myself I was going to get down, you know, around 11, 1130. And actually, um, I just happened to, I mean, I was actually probably getting ready, you know, telling myself I'm going to get down soon. It was cold and I didn't see much that morning, but he came in behind me and then that was just kind of how it worked out. I mean, I was, I was probably 10 minutes from getting down. <laughs> That's awesome. <laughs> so what's know? the story? I'm on your Facebook here. What's the story with, uh, this big buck you got here and you're in orange. I'm assuming you shot that with your bow during the gun season. Yep. That was uh that was a Minnesota buck. So, um, Minnesota's gun season opens a little earlier than Wisconsin's gun season. Actually it opens this Saturday, um, this year. So it, it's right during the rut. So I had filled my Wisconsin tag that year early and, um, I just, I had a decent property that I could hunt. I can't hunt it anymore, but, um, <clears throat> no one gun hunted it. So I snuck over there and there was a logging road full of scrapes and opening morning, you know, there was, there was a few shots around me, but he it was probably two hours in, he came hitting those scrapes and, you know, I was able to put them down. It was, it was really cool. I had no history with that deer or nothing. That's a great deer. 
yeah yeah it was for uh for that year um it was really good I, I thought my wisconsin one that year was really good too and and then that thing came by i was i was really excited so i've never understood this about minnesota you know southern i don't you know i want to give people's hot spot away but minnesota you know they do have their gun season and it's shotgun only but they do hunt it through the rut yet they produce some giant bucks every i mean every year giant bucks and just right across the river you know lacrosse obviously we have good genetics but we don't have the genetics right across the river that minnesota does and no, yet, and they're, they're gun hunting during the rut i mean do you ever think about that or explain how they can continue to produce that kind of deer I, I do think about it all the time when I, the first year, you know, I, I never hunted Minnesota until I was, ah, I don't even know how old it, me and Tom, the, the first year we started filming was the first year that I, cause my uncle had a spot over in Minnesota and he told me I could bow hunt it. And he had told me for many years that I could bow hunt it. I just never, never went over there. And then that year, you know, I thought having an extra tag in my pocket while we were filming would be really cool. And I saw some giants over there. So then I was hooked and, and, it was really kind of funny because I've told Tom numerous times, I'm like, the deer are just bigger over there, you know, and we had, we had conversations and I think, you know, even though they, they gun hunt during the rut, it's only shotgun, you know, it's shotgun only. So they can't, they can't, well, I mean, that might be changing now too with all the CWD stuff, but back then it was shotgun only. So it's not like they could shoot them at a couple hundred yards and stuff. And then uh, you can only shoot one buck over there. Well, and that again, that's changing now with the CWD rules. But at the time, you could only tag one buck, whether it be with your bow or gun. But you only got one buck tag. In Wisconsin, you can shoot one with a bow and one with a gun. So correct, yep. yeah. And plus, they're using the bird the bird beads over there, shotgun yep. eight seventy pumps with the bird beads. So they're missing a lot of deer over there. <laughs> Exactly. Yep. <laughs> Man, Minnesota is uh, it's great. Now, so you brought Tom up, and I have to for those that you know my. My listeners of the Fit Archer podcast here, if you go back a few episodes, you probably listened to, I think I, 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 think I titled The Quiet Killer, um, Tom Herman, and Tom told the story, so just to put some, some pieces of the puzzle together, Tom told the story when he killed that real big drop tine buck up on the, by the golf course over there, and you were filming, and he said, oh, yeah, yeah, you know, he goes, the arrow's not even out of my bow, and JJ's going, oh, F-bomb, you hit him. <laughs> he's telling yeah. some story, he's like, JJ, quiet, he's not even dead yet. Well, Tom doesn't miss for one. I mean, that guy's straight death. So, he is. you know, when that, when that arrow was released, I mean, it was, I was already celebrating because it was, I, I want to say it was 20 yards. It might've been closer, maybe a couple yards further. It was right in front of us. And I mean, when Tom shot, I just knew it's done. You know, he just killed the drop time buck. So I was, yeah, I was, I was super excited. I, <laughs> I've never seen a big drop time buck like that before, you know, and, and, uh, it was really cool. You guys are a good duo, man. A couple of killers. You guys are some serious whitetail killers and other animal killers too. Obviously, you killed some other animals, and Tom has too. And uh, you guys ever hunt together anymore, or guinea filming in, or anything? We don't. We actually just just this year. So the last time we had hunted together was 2014 when we went to Alaska for caribou. And then uh, you know we always we talk. I mean, we probably talk nightly, and we're always telling stories. But finally, this year. Um, I told him I had talked to Anthony and, and was doing antelope with the guys from lacrosse archery. And, you know, Tom used to work there and stuff too. I said, Hey, you care if Tom comes along? Anthony's like, no, that's a great idea. And I called him up. I'm like, dude, you gotta, you gotta come antelope hunting with us. And he wanted to shoot an antelope. So he asked his wife and it, it all worked out and we had a blast. I didn't see no pictures. Did oh. you get, do you guys tag out? 
We did. Yep. Yep. He, uh, and, and leave it to Thomas. He was the first one to, uh, he shot one and then it was me. And then, I mean, it just kept going down the line. Everyone started killing him, but I always, I was making fun of making fun of Tom. Cause like who invited this guy, you know, he was the first one to get one. <laughs> you got to start updating your, you got to have just a hunting album. Yeah. Yeah. I probably should. I don't, I like to post pictures on there and, uh, you know, for, for let people see and then, uh, sponsors and stuff. But I, yeah, I should probably just do a hunting album. <laughs> Yeah, it's it's good because it's always you can go to it and you see them all. I always I, I'll, I'll be like, oh man, I got four more animals I got to add to my album. And the funny thing is on Facebook, if then you add them to your album, then it makes them you know that it uh, updates them. So then everybody's like, oh, congratulations, great animal. I'm like, oh, that was from like three years ago. I just you know just updated my album, but hey, it's making me look better <laughs> in the eyes right. of some of those people out there. But you're a turkey nut. Here's a couple pictures of you, just a baby face, JJ, 2010. Oh boy, yeah, some that turkeys. Was, uh... Was that the one? Uh, that might have been the one with Tom. Tom yeah. might have filmed me shoot that one. Yep, that was a that was a great. That was another fun. That one was no blind, kind of a spot and stalk, call them in type thing. That was a really cool hunt. Yeah, turkey hunting is. Gosh, it's. Uh, I miss turkey hunting. You know, it's so different out here. There's so much greatness about living in Arizona, but there's so much about you know. For 38 years, I grew up just like you. Uh, spring yep. turkey, deer some of the great greatest fishing in America, you know, just, just in the heart of God's country in the Midwest. And I, I feel like I'm in a really, really great spot for fishing, but it's, it's a little different. Cause you know, right before I moved, I had bought a hundred acres of my own land, got my food plots on it, had some, you know, just really work in the land and, and going to create a really, really neat piece. And 13 minutes from my front door, I could be on my land Yep. and here 13 minutes from my front door. And I'm still going through stoplights. You know, yep. I got to go an hour and a half and it, my son's got a tag coming up and, and we're two, two and a half hours away just to get to the spot where the unit we're going to hunt. Then you're, you know, an hour on dirt roads and stuff. It's, it's beautiful out here. And so the blessings are abundant, but it is different. And I do, I do miss that. I, I told uh, some of my buddies, I said, I made a goal this year not to miss another Midwest rut hunt with my bow. Cause I, oh, yeah. I you know, I'm just craving it. Uh, you got to come back and come back and get a hunt in. I know. And, and I was, I was coming back every fall. I had some, I had a place in Missouri that I was going and I got on this place in Missouri. Um, and obviously I had to pay for it, but the way I was looking at it was like, I was looking to lease some land. So I'd, you know, my brother could hunt it back and back by you guys. And, and as I was looking at lease prices, I'm like, my goodness, lease prices have gone through the roof. And my brother's oh, so yeah. much into trapping now. If, do you know, if you know my brother, he's into, you know, he's a hardcore trapper, just got a bobcat yesterday. Um, he just, he just had me on Facebook actually here not too long ago. And I've been, you know, I, I pay attention. I, I've seen, I've seen a couple of pictures, I think with some beavers here as of, as of late. Yeah. And, he's, and, he's uh, gotten into trapping and man, he's hardcore. He loves it. And I think it's great because he got his boys into it, but I thought, well, if I lease land then he could hunt it, but he got into trapping and I'm looking at the price of it. So I just decided, hey, I'm going to go to Missouri. I'm gonna go to this place in Missouri and I'm going to pay less money for a seven day hunt than I would you know, for a lease land. And if I, even if I lease land, I'd only come back for probably seven days anyway at the max. Cause you know, I gotta be back here with my family and work and all that stuff. Right. So I'm like, I'll just do that. And then the, the stands are set and all that stuff. And I finally got into this place. That is the best place you could hunt in Missouri. And it was, it was really difficult to get into it because he only takes a couple hunters and okay. I couldn't get into the rut. So I got to hunt it late season. I, I hunted a different property that he kind of introduced me to. I shot a pretty good buck on there one year. And I finally get in two years ago to hunt this and I'm 
super fired up. I'm like, oh, I'm going to hunt it every single year. I'm going to start killing some giant whitetails because this guy's got, they've killed 11 bucks over 200 inches with a bow on this oh, property. Wow. Yeah, it's, it's amazing. And the company that I worked for, you know, changed. And, you know, income changed and all that kind of stuff. And so I didn't go the last, I didn't go last year. I didn't go this year. And I'm like, I can't take it anymore. Like, <laughs> I have got to come back and get my, my whitetail fix sitting in a tree. I got to get that back. Yeah, for sure. No, it, it it's funny because you're over there and you're missing the mid, you know, the Midwest and I'm over here and, and I love killing whitetails and I love killing turkey, but that's kind of, you know, you get into water, waterfall hunting and you can do some trapping and stuff, but I just, I love big game hunting with a bull. So, you know, I'm always telling people, man, I wish I lived in Arizona or I wish I lived in Alaska you know, where you can, you can get multiple big game tags, you can mule deer, elk, antelope, you know, all in the same state where it's kind of funny because you're missing this and I'm missing that. And it just works out that we, you know, can take a trip here and take a trip there. Yeah. You know, it's just, it's just having a love for the outdoors and wanting to appreciation for all the animals, a love for hunting every animal. I think you're a lot like me. People ask me all the time, like, what's your favorite animal to hunt? I'm like, whatever one I have the tag in my pocket, honestly. Yep. I, I don't care what it is. And I've, I've always identified more as a bow hunter, but I'm really starting to get into understanding living out here. When I first moved out, I met a guy um, by the name of Dave and he's, he's been a, he's, he's phenomenal at understanding all hunts, all states. He used to work for a big consulting, hunting consult business. So he's got all the information and he grew up actually in the home. He was born in my hometown, which is wild in Wisconsin, but has lived out here lives in Utah now was in uh, Arizona. And so him and his brother have killed mega animals and he said to me before too, like, just, just be a little more open on picking up a gun. You're going to give uh-huh. yourself more opportunities. And, you know, of course I was always so prideful of I'm the bow hunter, I'm the bow hunter, I'm the bow hunter. But getting into, I think what turned me off with gun hunting was that Wisconsin gun deer season when yep. it got so commercialized that you couldn't hunt. Nobody wanted to get together. You know, everybody was secretive. People became enemies and it just oh, turned, yeah. it turned me off. And so I just picked a bow up. Well, out here, it's this long range glassing, which I mean, you've done it because you've been out West, but I'm almost more excited when I find an animal in my binoculars than if I was even going to shoot it. Like I just love to go with people and work my skills and and increase my skills on finding animals with binoculars. It's so much fun. But now, you know, I got a couple long range guns. My son, you know, he's, he's getting into it. My oldest son is an incredible shot. He's killed some animals long distance and my youngest son's starting. And and so I decided, I told, when I draw a strip tag, when I finally draw my archery strip tag, which could be in a year now, um, then, because I'll explain Arizona to you in a second, but then I'm going to start putting in for these coos deer hunts and creating a weak memory with my kids, you know, a week-long memory where we just go down and we gun hunt coos deer together, me and my two boys, and do oh, like, yeah. you know, create that that camaraderie and something that I hope they, a tradition, but in Arizona, you and I were talking a little bit before I got on, you can still have the best of both worlds because Arizona is really unique. Living here, you don't get as many tags as you'd think. You know, it's difficult to get tags here. You might want to live in Wyoming or uh, Colorado where you want to get a lot of tags. Arizona, you can't get a lot of tags. But we have a really unique over-the-counter um, archery hunt, and it's it's open to non-residents too. So if you buy a license, let's just say, let's say you take January um, 2021, start, start the year fresh. So in yep. October, you can apply, October 2020, you can apply, the, the application period is over now, but you can apply for Havelina. So let's say you put in for Havelina and you draw January um, 2021 Havelina tag in whatever unit, whether you want to okay. hunt you know, north, central, or south. 
So yeah. you got to buy the license to apply. So you got to buy a non-resident license and then you can come out, you'll have a javelina tag and you can buy an over-the-counter archery deer tag, any antler or a, a, any deer, whether it's coos deer or mule deer. In the majority of the units, obviously the, the Kaibab and the Strip and a couple other units are, are, are draw only, but the majority of the units down here are over-the-counter. So you can hunt all of January when our deer are in the rut, which is great. You go south or they rut a little bit later, central, they're, you know, it might be early January and then north, they might rut late December, early January. So you can yep. hunt in the rut, spot and stalk, any way you want to do it. And, and you can have a javelina tag in your pocket for that specific unit. So you'd want to you'd kind of coordinate that. Well, if you don't fill your archery tag, you can come back and hunt the early season, which opens up in September. All the animals, majority of the units are, are open again, except obviously the premier units. And you hunt them in the, the velvet. It'd be early, hot, you know, high country type stuff or low desert if you can find them in the heat there. And if you don't fill in September, that two-week window or whatever that season is, you can come back December 15th through the end of December. So you have three different time frames that you can hunt on one tag. Oh, that's amazing. Yeah, so a lot of guys have... Yeah, I don't like to tell everybody that because, man, I'm right. losing some spots. But it is a really, you know, it is a unique opportunity to, even if it was, hey, I just want to come hunt January coos deer in the rut and chase rutting coos deer and work on my spot and stock skills. You can do that and even have a javelina tag in your pocket in that same unit. So it's pretty incredible. And, you know, for you in January, unless you're in the metro unit, you're really, you're not deer hunting anymore. No, no, deer hunting's pretty much done. I mean, I have can, you know, count on it handful of times where i've i've hunted into late season and sometimes i'll do some doe management and stuff um late but generally speaking you know i i don't uh i'm just kind of sitting waiting until the snow starting to melt and maybe go out and find sheds and stuff you know yeah but it's cold it, by you uh, and in january here it can, it can be cold it gets cold here it does i mean it gets down in the teens in some units but then during the day it's 50 or 60 so i mean here you're hunting in oh, beautiful weather and, and seeing these deer and i mean they're killing 200 inch deer, 200 inch mule deer on these over the counter units. And yep. mule deer, uh, mule deer, or coos deer, they're killing 100 inch coos deer with a bow in these over the counter units. So it's, it is really unique. You know, you can have best of both worlds. You just got to be able to travel. Yeah. Oh, yeah. So that's something I'm going to definitely put on my list. We've, we, uh, my taxidermist back here at home, he's one of my best friends. And we've kind of talked about maybe heading out there just, you know, into January and, and trying to chase those things around and, and just have some fun. Um, just to basically, you know, bypass some time in the winter in the off season, you know, well, um, just let me know, you know, I'll help out. Oh, for sure. What, what I found really cool, uh, when I went to Utah here in 2019, um, right after Thanksgiving for mountain lion, I got, I landed and, uh, my buddy actually picked me up and he's like, Hey, what would you say about hunting the strip tomorrow? And I was like, the Arizona strip. And he's like, yeah. I was like, well, I, my tags for Utah He's like, it's over the counter. And I, you know, I, I couldn't believe that. So we drove to the hardware Hank store or whatever and, and, uh, bought it, bought a tag. Cause he said, you know, very rarely does the strip get snow and it had snow that, um, that day. So we actually hunted the strip the next morning and I can, I can totally understand why every mule deer hunter wants to be there. <laughs> you know, it's, <laughs> it's amazing. Yeah, I can't wait, man. I, I, I screwed up and drew Arizona in 2012 before I lived out here, an archery deer tag. And I was just, I screwed up on my application. Actually, I had a consulting business, screw up on my application. So I drew a tag, but I had four or five points. And oh. I didn't even get to make it. I, was, I already had uh, two hunts I was gone on, so I didn't even come, which was fine because yep. it wasn't the, the hunt that I wanted to be on. So 
I would literally have already drawn my strip tag. So now I'm sitting with, you know, I'm right in that, I'm right in that any, any day, any year, any year yeah. I could draw that. And it could be 10 years, which is, it's difficult every year. I'm, I'm so tempted because my buddies are guides and they're mm-hmm. phenomenal guides. And they just got done with the early Kybrab rifle hunt. They see okay. my one buddy, he shot one that right at 200 inches, non-typical all over. He's seen six bucks over 200 inches with hunting it with a gun. And I'm like, man, I could draw that right now. I could draw it this year. I could draw it 2021 guaranteed. Dang. And I'm like, so every year I go through this mental battle of, I'm just going to draw it, use my guns and go have an amazing hunt. And then, then I'll talk to somebody and they're like, nah, it's the strip. It is worth the wait one time. You know, yep. <laughs> you got to wait for it one time. And as an archery hunter, obviously I got to try an archery strip tag. Oh yeah, for sure. Um, what was cool about it. So I actually ended up shooting my lion in the pine Valley where you and Dan and, um, I think somebody else were actually mule deer hunting earlier this year. So I was, you know, but what was awesome is, is when I was done, you know, this past year, my buddy who was a consultant, you know, for, for tags and and draws and stuff, he called me, he's like, you got a Utah tag and an Arizona tag, like you need to put in for these tags and get started and i you know i was like well i suppose yeah he already paid the money for the the license so yeah i just i just started for arizona this year so i mean i got i don't know if i'll ever catch it you know probably not but it's worth a try oh yeah if you buy the license then obviously you might as well put in because you're not charged for the tag you're only charged 13 13 application fee you're not charged until you draw it and there's the there's the bonus round you know there's a bonus point round and then there's a random draw so there's they changed it and made it harder on non-residents, but they did it because it was it was so heavy for just the people that had the max points. So yep. they kind of switched a little bit. But so there's people that, I mean, there's a guy that I used to work out with my CrossFit gym. He drew an archery strip tag um, with not that many points. And then he drew it again the very next year. Really? Like two archery strip tags in a row. Two in a row. He was a Jeez. pastor. He was a pastor. And I was telling him, like, man, I got to work out and rub shoulders with you. I need some of that. I need some of that good stuff you got on you. You know, I need right, some of that sure. good luck. Yeah. We all need that. Yeah. So um, what, uh, let's talk a little bit about elk. Okay. So how many elk have you shot now? I'm, I'm looking, you don't have your lion picture. I can't find that on Facebook. Come on, JJ. Oh, it's on. They're on there. They're just probably way down in the, the stories. Oh, I'm, on your, I'm on your photos. I can't find them, but yeah, that, that's your, that's uh, your, you got to create yourself a uh, photo album. Yeah, for sure. For sure. Um, no, it, it's on there. I know it's on there. Okay. I remember posting it, but uh, yeah, I've killed two elk. Um, I've been, I've been hunting three times. I've shot two elk out of the three. And in all honesty, the, the year I didn't shoot an elk, I probably could have, I was more focused on mule deer than I was on elk. And you kill them both. Where'd you kill them both? Colorado? Colorado. Yep. Okay. So this year, like I said, it's been a tough year on a lot of people. And I know you do over the counter, you do, I don't know if you're over the counter, if you're drawing it, but you're, I know you guys are doing on yourself, doing it yourself. You're not yep. going guided. And uh, so tell me the story because I, I remember when you posted, I'm like, dang, JJ, he worked because you shot on like day 12 or something, didn't you? Well, I shot mine on the fifth day. It would have been actually the, um, it was the fifth day of the season. So it would have been the, the seventh day in there. Okay. But, uh, yeah, it was, uh, and to be 100% honest with you, I, I was focused more on mule deer again this year. And so what I was doing is I was glassing mule deer and trying to get on mule deer in the mornings. And then, it just depended on the evenings, how I felt, what I wanted to do, um, and what everybody else was doing. You know, there was three of us that, that went in 
And so for the first couple nights, I was, well, the first night I went up to a meadow that I knew, you know, was kind of right above camp. And I, I, I didn't see anything, but there was a wallow up there that looked really, really promising. But we had, we had issues with cattle. So we had cattle, you know, it was, it was hot and there was still a lot of cattle where we were. So I couldn't tell if that wallow was getting, you know, looking good because of elk or if it was just having cattle running through there and stuff. But, um, that was the first night. And then this next couple nights, I would glass mule deers in the morning. And, and the first morning was, we almost got on a, a big, um, three by three and it, uh, it just didn't work out, but, uh, it was really cool. And so that I was, I really wanted to shoot that deer. So I, and I was glassing them up in the mornings and I just could never, could never get a, an exact, you know, track on them, so to say, but uh, the one night, the one night I, I glassed them up and I, I probably looking back, I probably should have made a move on them, but I just kind of thought I was going to put them to bed basically and, and make a move on them in the morning. And it didn't work out, so to say, but the, the fourth night I went back up to that meadow above camp after, after hunting mule deers in the morning and the wind was constantly swirling where I was. So I, I just, I didn't like it. Um, and I didn't sit that wallow. I just, I basically kind of worked my way around the, the tree edge and I was calling a little bit, not a lot, but just, just working my way and trying to keep the wind in my favor. And it was getting dark and I was coming back towards that wallow and I, you know, I was getting ready to head back to camp and I looked down the end of the meadow and here comes a giant. And I just remember saying, Oh my gosh, if I kill this thing, my buddies are going to kill me because it's going to be the second big bull that I've really kind of got lucky on, you know? Um, and I, I got into position and the thing was, it was probably hundred yards coming, you know, it was coming right towards me and I felt the wind hit me in the back. It had, it had changed. And I thought, Oh, and I looked up at the bull and he had already, I mean, he was already on me and turned around and gone. And I was just like, Oh man, that's a, that's a bummer. You know, I was pretty, wind was kind of out of my sail then. And, and every day that goes by when you're in the back country, it, it's a grind. So it gets harder and harder. And the next morning I woke up and I was, you know, I was like, I'm going to go hunt mule deer. And then I'm going to focus on hunting that bull every night, you know, till the end of the trip. And I was, I was glassing, I was right in my spot glassing for mule deer. And I saw, I saw a decent buck, but it wasn't the one I was looking at. And I looked over and back in the back of the valley, there was a group of elk and I, I was looking at the bull and I was like, yeah, that looks like a pretty decent bull. And I was like, he's in a really good spot to, to put a stock on. And, and I didn't even hesitate. I just packed up and, and worked my way that way. And I got in and, um, it was just kind of really funny how it worked out. I had some cows actually feed into me in the tree line and like cow, it, it cow really, elk. Yep. Cow okay. elk. Okay. And yeah, uh, I mean, the one was probably five yards from me. And the wind was totally in my favor, so I wasn't worried about that. But I was like, man, this is like, where's the bull? You know, just it was like cow showed up, another cow, another cow. And I was like, where's the bull? And finally, like, they were looking at me, looking up and down, and, and I'm just trying to hold still as can be. And they knew something wasn't right, so they just they turned and they, they walked back out out of the trees. And it, it gave me enough time. I actually I took my shoes off, and and I, I you know, crept out to, to – the tree line and I, I could see that bull and um I ranged him and he was 84 yards and it was wide open for me to him and I you know I had practiced you know all summer long I knew I could make that shot so I uh 
back and you know I, I shot and i knew i hit him and i knew i hit him pretty good but i wasn't 100 percent sure and he ran off and he he kind of went up up the mountain a little bit so i you know i just slowly worked over there i was going to go look for blood and, and see what not and i i looked out and i could see him and he was he was standing there and he was, I mean, blood coming out both sides. I could see my arrow hanging out the backside of him. And it was, it was a good shot, you know I mean? Maybe a little bit back, but definitely in the vitals. And he was just standing there and I was like, hit him in my range finder. And miraculously, like he was 83 yards. I mean, same, same yardage. So I just took out another arrow and I, I put another one. I, I put that one right in, right in the pump house. I mean, I heart shot him on that second shot and he went like 10 yards and, and, expired and i was just super happy but it was a lot of work then because all my my two buddies were man they were probably two and a half three miles from me so i told them you know i i uh got a hold of them i said hey i got a bull down and they're like well start cutting them up we'll we'll make our way back there and i was like that's going to be a few hours and it, it's getting hot so i was doing what i could to, to get that thing taken care of and get that meat in the shade um but it, it all worked out and it was just it was kind of a lucky thing because I wasn't really hunting elk, but on the same time I was hunting elk, you know. Oh yeah, you're still, I mean, glassing for them and opportunistic. Yep. So how was the elk hunt? Were your were your buddies hunting elk or were they doing the same thing you were glassing for muleys and then if they stumbled on elk, go after them? No, they were they were hunting elk. Um Kyle, he was he was hunting muleys. Sometimes there wasn't, you know, he's shot in a few muleys. I've never got a muley, so there wasn't any real big ones that he was looking for. So he was more focused on elk. And then his brother, he only had an elk tag. So they were hunting together and, and they were on a big group of elk that, that they've been on a couple of days. So how was the rut for it, you guys? Was it good or active or was it slow? It was slow. See, we're actually early. Um, so we're, we hunt the, the opening day of the season over there. And then, you know, so I, I shot it on the fifth day. So it, you know, there was a little bit of bugling, but it's, it wasn't, I wouldn't call it any rut. I've never actually seen the elk rut myself. I, to be honest, I've elk hunted, you know, quite a bit. I, I think from a success standpoint, when you have pressure, I don't know what kind of pressure you guys had. We had a ton of pressure where we hunted. I think I'd much rather hunt where there's no rutting activity. I'd rather find the elk and then move in on them and, and stalk them then yep. trying to call them in and they're they're every every other hunters out there blowing a bugle or a cow call and scaring them and shutting them up and then they go quiet and nocturnal i'd much rather go early i mean it's but there's but there's just something about when they're bugling and you're moving in on them it's you know there's that magical part about elk hunting yeah for sure the the first year i ever went 2015 and uh we got there and you know in the first day or two before the season even opened we had we had spotted up some really good bulls and uh i told kyle i says i'm gonna kill that one and he kind of laughed at me because i've never hunted elk before you know and he's i think he's gone every year or or almost every year for the last 13 14 years since he was young and he kind of laughed at me and uh i told him i says i got i got two things on my side one thing is is i you know i feel like i'm a pretty good hunter so no you know i got that even though i've never hunted elk it's not like i'm a rookie out there and then on on the second second one i had going for me is i got beginner's luck on my side for elk you know and he shot his bull the third day of that that year and on the fifth day, I shot that bull that I told him I was going to shoot. And it was just really, really funny story. You know, he's like, dude, you don't know how lucky you are. And, <laughs> and I was like, I told you, yeah. you know, you, when you got a little bit of beginner's luck on your side too, it, it helps. Yeah, but absolutely. that was another, uh, that was another hunt where, so what had happened, uh, 
you know, long story short, when he killed his bull, they had taken out a load of meat, him and another guy, and someone had actually broken into our vehicles, stole our truck keys. They didn't steal anything out of the vehicles, money, gear, nothing, but they took our truck keys. So it was like, I think they knew the bulls were in the area and they were just mad and they wanted to leave us stranded or something. I'm not really sure. But at that point, we always had to have one guy at the trucks. So none of our gear did get stolen. Or they were just bad burglars. (laughs) Yeah, that could be too. You know, well, we we assumed maybe they'd come back in the evening when it was dark or something. And, uh, but so then at, at that case, you know, we had all helped him get his meat back to camp. But then once that happened, you know, we all had to take turns taking a load of meat back out because we always had to have a guy at the truck. So I, you know, instead of hunting the one evening, I said, oh, I'll just take the meat out now and I'll hunt in the morning. And uh, I took the load of meat out and it's three and a half mile back back to the truck and, and then back into camp another another three mi- three and a half miles. So by the time I got back, I was kind of beat and i just said you know i'm gonna hunt right above camp the next morning and i had seen a couple elk above there you know the the prior morning before so i knew it wasn't like just going up there wishing but uh when i got up there i hunted tree line all the way down into the wind and i got to the end and i totally was like i didn't take my time going through that like i felt like it took me three minutes to get from one end to the other you know and so when i got to the end i heard one bugling below me kind of worked my way down to it and I got to a point and I, I got into some elk and there was a five by five and and I was gonna you know try and try and take them and he was like 60 yards but they're kind of going away from me and they started working up the hill and then uh I was like man I was like I gotta get in front of them so I, I literally ran back up the tree line and I sprinted down tree line trying to get in front of them and I mean I stopped to catch my breath and I heard a twig snap and I look and here comes the cow up and over and she's like 10 yards from me. I was like, Oh man, this is going to be great. So I got an arrow knocked and then uh, a little, you know, a couple minutes had passed and I was like, man, should I shoot this cow? Cause I've never shot an elk before. So I was like, I, you know, cow for my first elk, you know, that'd be pretty cool. And I heard some, some tines hitting branches and I was like, Oh, here comes that five by five. And the one that I shot was just a mega bull steps out and he pushes that cow down the, down the hill and just lets out a bugle right in front of me. I mean, 14 yards and I, my heart's jumping out of my chest. And I like, I drew back all my pins were in his body cavity and in my mind, it's just like, just let go. And I shot and my arrow was high because I think my 20 yard pin was, you know, with all the, all the pins being in his body cavity, the 20 yard pin was, was up high, but I was still, I still caught the top of the lungs and, and made it work. But it was, it was a little bit of luck on my side, you know? Hey, man, luck is good. You got three things on your side. You also have, you're a good shot. You're a great shot. Right. You know, and that, yeah. that, you know, when you put the luck and your, your hunting abilities and you put in all the preparation for years and years and years to, to be able to shoot, you know, to, to kill an elk at 83, 84 yards. Most people won't say that. I, I, I don't mind talking about distance. You know, some people just get a little bit freaked out. They're like, well, you can't kill animals at that distance. I'm like, well, when you routinely shoot 90, 100 yards all the time, Right. You know, it's, 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 yeah, the equipment's incredible. And, uh, I mean, when you, when you do it, you can do it. So I, th- I like it. I'm looking at that bull, that bull. Now that's a good, six, big six by six. Yep. Yep. That one was a, it was a great bull. Uh, I wanted, it was like three fifty nine, I think, or something gross and in three fifty one or three forty nine net. Yeah. And a public land out. first elk 
That's an incredible yep. bull. Dang. Yep. So that's why the one I shot this year, I mean, I, I had told the guys, I said, I got no, no issues shooting this deer, this elk. Cause I mean, I started out with something that I shouldn't have ever started out with, you know, so there's, there's no beating that I don't think for a couple of years. So I was, I was still tickled to death to shoot what I did this year. Yeah. You know, I am, uh, I personally, you know, live in Arizona and there's a lot of obviously really, really good elk here. Um, when people talk about, yeah, you know, I'm waiting for like that 360, 370. I'm like, gosh, 350 bull is never going to walk by me without getting shot at. Right. Uh, it's just, yep. I mean, if I, if I'm a Randy Almer or, you know, yep. a Dan Evans and I'm doing it consistently in three States a year and I'm just, I'm, I've become so good then I get it, but that's not me. You know, I'm a, right. I love hunting. I'm, I'm very opportunistic. I joke all the time when I was going to, uh, when I was with Dan and my buddy, Mike, when we went to Utah, I said, guys, I'm just telling you right now, that first fork horn that comes out in front, I'm shooting and they're laughing. <laughs> and I'm like, hey, you just don't understand. Like I got an itchy trigger finger. I know you got to let the little ones go to shoot giants, but I haven't killed an animal with my bow in a couple of years. Other than my, my moose was the last one I killed. I'm like, I've got to get some blood other than the javelina, yeah. which you know, they're like rabbits out here in the desert. I, I, was, I was telling you, I love to hunt them because if I glass them up, I have about a 95% chance I'm going to kill them. Yeah, so awesome. I love hunting oh, yeah. them. I get as many tags of them as I can because it, it, it boosts my ego, my, uh, my confidence of bow hunting. Like, all right, I got a couple of javelina. And now most people are like, I don't even mess with them anymore. I want to challenge myself with deer. And I'm probably going to try to do that this year. Right, right. I mean, it, it's great to hear you say that because, I mean, you got a, a 400-incher under your belt, right? Yeah, but, you know, again, it goes to, man, you know, God lined everything up for that. I mean, from drawing the tag to hunting with the guys and to, to find the bull the night before and then kill it the next day and it not having any cows with it for two hours yep. while it bugled every once in a while and it allowed me to get into this meadow that it was in. I mean, there just uh, there's no other way I can say it other than God literally blessed me with killing that bull and it it doesn't make me a good elk hunter at all. I'm not a great elk hunter. I'm still learning how to, you know, when to, when to charge in, when not to. And, you know, I got my butt handed to me the last two years of elk hunting and it's, it's frustrating, yep. but I can always look at this bull too, you know, cause looking like oh, I did kill a 400 inch bull. <laughs> exactly. That, yep, exactly. I hear there. I mean, but just to know, you know, you, you know, you got one 400 inch or you're not going out there saying, Hey, it's, it's gotta be 400 or, or I'm not shooting. Cause you know, that's, that's just highly unlikely to, you know, I mean, I know there's a few people that can do it consistently, but nah, I don't know. Yeah. Well, I mean, just, I've always told everybody, I'm like the likelihood of me seeing a 400 inch bull again, you know, I do live in Arizona. And so there's, there's the opportunity, maybe better than somebody living in Wyoming or, you know, Colorado. I do have a little better opportunity to maybe see another one, but you know, just again, God bless that animal with a stupid yep. brain and i was able to sneak in and shoot it and be, <laughs> yeah. you know but most of them they never you know if, if he would have been matter of fact when i i used it that was a guided hunt i wasn't going to waste that hunt that's a 17 point hunt i drew it on three points you know so i really oh, really lucked yeah. out and so i wasn't going to go over and try to figure out how to hunt nevada myself because nevada is if you draw in a bull tag you have to wait five years to even apply again if you kill an elk you're out of the game for 10 years before you can even apply Oh, wow. So okay. that wasn't a do-it-yourself, JP, go try to figure it out. This was, <laughs> I hired Greg Krogh and Mogollon Rim Outfitters, the best um, in Nevada, and begged him to take me, and, and it all worked out. I mean, it just, you know, it really worked out. So, But if but when I called him, <clears throat> he said, okay, I got a guide for you. And he goes, he's a killer, and he'll do, he'll do really well with you. He said, when do you want to come? And I'm like, I, I don't know. I said, any recommendations? He goes, well, I recommend. He goes, I know everybody likes the rut hunts. 
you know, the bugling and all that, that experience. He said, but if you want a chance to kill your biggest bulls, he goes, come first day of the season before the bulls are with cows and chasing off other bulls. He goes, otherwise we can, it's difficult to get that herd bull out. And this would have been a herd bull, obviously. Um, yep. And it made sense. I mean, if he'd have been with cows, you know, at where, where we hunted over there in Nevada, when they're with cows, there may be one herd bull with like 60, 70 cows. Yeah. I'm not getting it on that bull. Yep. You yep, know. that makes sense. So that bull I shot in 2015, we actually got on him the first day of the season, and it, that was how it was. He had, I don't know, a ton of cows, 40, 50 cows with him, and we had the cows coming past us in the timber, and we're just waiting. You know, we were both both into position for this bull to be following him, and he was bugling behind him and stuff. You know, and we're just getting all amped up. Well you know, halfway through the, the cows coming through, one of them had actually hooked down below us and got our wind. And it was the loudest you know, highway of elk running out of the timber trees snapping. And I, I, it was, you know, that was the first time I'd ever witnessed anything like that. And I was, I was hooked, you know, from then on for big game hunting out West. They're a giant animal, aren't they? Yeah. Yep. And beautiful, man. Just majestic. I, every animal. I, I'm like you though. We were, we were glassing last week and I was with a buddy of mine. He's got a deer tag up in one of the units, uh, North, a mule deer tag. And so I went up to help him and we glassed up some mule deer. And then we went to sit over this big Canyon. Um, and we found the spot on the map and we're like, this should give us some, you know, be able to look into the shade. It gets warm. So, you know, these deer hit the shade fast. Um, yep. you really learn where to glass and how to glass to find more deer. And, I'm like, if we can get over there and get the right angle where we can look into the sun, you know, we're going to be looking into where the animals are. And here, three coos deer come down. And I'm looking at them going, they're the most majestic, beautiful animal on the mountain. An hour later, I saw a bull elk. And I'm like, that's the most majestic, <laughs> beautiful animal on this mountain. I mean, it just doesn't matter what it is. I love God's creatures, man. Oh, yeah, for sure. I'm the same way. Uh, it was awesome. You know, and, and I think... Uh, 2017 when we went out i had a bull come on some rocks it was it was coming down a, a rock chute and it was bugling and I, I it was a little bit cold and i, I had you know i'd been sitting there for a few minutes so i was kind of kind of chilled and when he bugled i mean i, I started shaking and it, it was it was a little bit of that excitement from the bull and then the coldness but it was it was a shake that i've never you know, and it's been a little while since I've had buck fever, but it, you know, this would have been, if he would have been in range, it probably been really tough to, tough to control it, you know, and it was, it was super cool and, and, and fun to watch that. And then, you know, then when I go to South Dakota hunting antelope, I think they're really majestic creatures as well. I, I love watching them and trying to get in tight on them with their eyesight and stuff. It's, they're also fun to hunt, you know? Oh, I love antelope hunting. I, it's uh, every animal's got its own smell. You know how it is. Whitetail smells one way. Antelope smells. Yeah. We always say they're like a, a bag of Fritos. We always call them Frito Lays. <laughs> they smell like Fritos. But if I walk by like my antelope mount, um, I smell it a little bit. Yet javelina's got a smell. Matter of fact, this morning we're doing uh, CrossFit. I, I, I train at CrossFit in the mornings, and we had to do some running. So part of the workout was four hundred meter runs. And I, I work out at 6 a.m. So it's still a little bit dark out. And I ran through the parking lot and I was running next to this one member. And I'm like, you smell that? Her name is Leslie. I said, you smell that, Leslie? She's, I think she thought maybe I was thinking she stunk. <laughs> yep. <'Cause> she's <laughs> yeah. like, no, what? Look at me weird because we're just warming right. up. And I'm like, do you smell that skunk? And she goes, yeah, I do. I said, that's not skunk. I said, a pack of javelina ran through here. Or her to javelina must have run through the, um, 
to the parking lot. She's like, really? I'm like, can't you smell that? And she's like, yeah. She, and so it kind of brought her back to when she heard she was walking her dog and her dog stumbled on and she, she remembered the smell. But I'm like, that, oh, okay. that got me fired up. I'm like, oh, not too long now. I'm going to be smelling that when I stalk and I'll smell them skunky javelina. I'm going to get all fired up. So, <laughs> there you go. Yeah. yeah for I sure. got a scent association with football, baseball, and all animals that I hunt. Yep. Yep. Yeah. I hear you too. So no, that's um, awesome. let me, let's, let's finish up with some gear. I want to talk about You've been hunting a long time. Not sure. You're probably sponsored. You got some sponsorships somewhere, I'm sure. You're uh, yep. very successful. And uh, talk about the gear that you use. And, and, and really, I was going to joke about it. You know, when you started hunting, when you were, you picked a bow up in your hand, just think of the difference in equipment. And now I'm, I'm 10 years older than you. So go oh, back yeah. to even like my first bow was a PSE. I don't know the name of it. Had like negative let off. As you drew, like probably then I was shooting probably 45 pounds. I would draw, and you know how let off is now, you know, it would decrease 80%, whatever. This increased yep. like 80%. So you almost had oh, to yeah. treat it like a like a longbow or something like that. But man, equipment's changed. So what did you start shooting and what do you where are you at now? So I started when I was 12, my first bow was a Browning Micromidas. And uh it was a, a youth, a, you know, a younger, younger bow. And you know, I had Easton aluminum arrows 1916s or something i think was what it was back in the day um you know slow it was it, feathers four inch feathers and and rocky mountain broadheads was was the was the ticket and shooting fingers you know at no release at that time yep it, and uh you know it was hard to it was hard to be consistent now it, it releases were around so i finally you know got my dad to get me one for christmas or whatever for the for the next year you know and then um you know, I, that was, I, that's what I shot my first, first buck with was that Brownie Micromitis and aluminum arrow. Actually, no, I think I was at a carbon carbon impact was back in the day. So if you remember those, they were the really small diameter ones yeah, with I the had beamons. on them. Yeah. Beamons oh, yeah, and glue yep. on, I had glue on muzzies and all that stuff. Yep. So yeah, you know, it, it's really come a long ways, um, for a while in there for a lot of years, um, you know, from like 20, 20 to 26 27 years old i think or whatever um you know it was hoyt when me and me and tom filmed with with john and uh so it was always hoyt but now now i found a home with matthews and they've been really good to me and, and I, I just love their equipment um both on the com competition side and on the hunting side and hunting wise you know it took off before the competition and and i just had a really good year the first year i shot matthews so it was just a confidence booster, you know, and I just, every time I go out in the field, I'm, I'm super confident. And that's, I really like having that with me while I'm hunting. Well, man, and, and they're a good company, great company. Yes. And yep, right there by are. what, 20 minutes from you? Yep. You yeah. know, they're, they're super nice. And, you know, as far as the other the side of things, you know, the sites have evolved, you know, um, I shoot a, uh, an axle, axle slider sight. So I got, I got five pins, 20 to 60, and then you can move it. So it's, you know, 70, 80, 90, hundred. And, and I, I'm always out to 120 for practice wise and stuff. And then, uh, broadheads is the biggest thing. Um, they've come a long ways too. And, and I know, I know some people don't like them. I shoot rage. I love them. I've, you know, as long as you stay away from bone, that, that buck I shot in Wisconsin here, I, I centered him up in the shoulder, um, not on purpose, but 
you know, I was still able to get in there and, and have them expire really quickly. And I was super happy with it. But when I went out elk hunting, I shot, I, I dropped her down to the inch and a half, the plus P's for better penetration at 84 yards. And that arrow, you know, I was, I didn't get a full pass through, but it was just hanging on by the fletchings on the other side. So I was really impressed with those as well. Were you shooting the no collars? Nope. I'm actually, I was shooting the hypodermics. They, they still had the collars. Oh, okay. Yeah. I went to the no collars this year. I, just, I have a ton of, yep. you know, hypodermics and tripans. I got them all. And I really like that. I really like that no collar. Uh, my buddy, okay. obviously, I don't know if you know, my one buddy who's kind of the big wig there at Rage or Faradine Outdoors. He's been my oldest friend since kindergarten. Um, What's my, his name? John Severson. Oh, he, so yeah. Yep. He just had some luck, I think, uh, uh, in Minnesota, bow hunting. Did he? I'll have to I text him. I think so. Yeah, you'll have to text him and see. I'll find out. Yeah, we grew up together since kindergarten, so we did everything together. He's coming out after Thanksgiving to do a, a coos hunt. Um, okay. So my concern, my question for him was with the no collar, because they feel like they're harder to get out, like they, they, they don't clip out fast. They, they clip in really well, but to deploy them. And he's like, they actually deploy better and more efficiently than with the, the rages with the plastic collar. And I'm like, I love them just because I like them in my quiver. I, I wanted them to clip into my quiver. I, I kind of set my quiver up a little bit differently because there is that little challenge with rage of carrying yep. in, in, in a quiver where, you know, if I got to shove them in far enough where they don't rattle around, sometimes I deploy the blades. And so yep. I, I kind of rigged up a little foam system that allowed me to shove them up in there good. They don't deploy. And with these no collars, they... They work good. I just didn't shoot anything with them yet, so I'm gonna have okay. to. Go, I'm gonna have to. I'm gonna have to rely on my old uh, Havelina hunt to test out right. my my no collars. I haven't got to try the no collars. I've just had so many of the ones with collars that, uh, you know, for a few years I've always just bought new blades, you know, and, and reused the the ferrules on them. But uh, yeah, I'll have to give them a try. You know, I I just haven't haven't graduated that far yet. Yeah, they, everything comes out so new. I mean, it's like. That I'm shooting, I shoot a Botech right now, and I'm shooting okay. the Revolt X, and I love it. And I keep saying, man, this is the best I've ever shot. Literally is. Um, I got it balanced right. I got everything just just right. And I'm shooting it better than any bow I've ever shot in my life. And yep. I'm like, but sooner or later, a new one's going to come out. Soon. Oh, yeah. They're coming out, and then I'm going to be like, oh, but I got to have that one. It's just like <laughs> broadheads. It's like arrows. Man, they're always upgrading and keeping, you know, us, us suckers. Uh, mark, I'm, I'm a sucker for marketing. So I'm, I always say I'm, I'm, I'm single-handedly trying to keep all the archery companies in business. <laughs> like oh, yeah. Yeah, I no, I, I hear you. It's, it's tough. Um, you know, it's, and, and I shoot a, you know, I shoot one of the new, new bows every year and people always ask me why and and uh you know it's just you know it might not seem like there's a little bit of difference or, or it might not seem like a big difference but it's a little difference and and if you you know take every little difference you know for the last 20 years look what we went went from and what we have now so you know even in a year's time period that little difference can make a huge difference yeah. Yep. You're right. I, I start. I started out shooting fingers, never went to a release. Matter of fact, my, the best finger boy I ever had was the Matthews conquest, <clears throat> the real long yep. axle to axle. Love that. And then Severson, um, before he got hired on with rage and, and, uh, field logic and all that, uh, Faradine, he was a sales rep for a company called Steve Kaufman associates. So he, he repped, um, Parker Bowes. Oh, okay. And so, 
I would always help him. Like I would do the, I think it was the Iowa, Illinois, and Wisconsin Deer Classic. So he would set up and I would just stand in the booth with him for those four days and talk about the, you know, he had Muzzy. He had like 15 different products. So I would, you know, just help him um, stay yep. in that booth. And we just, and so he always set me up with a full package. He's like, my pay to you is whatever archer equipment I have, you can set a whole package up. So he, every year I'd, I'd get the new Parker bow. And, yeah. you know, I think the first one came out was the, that I started shooting was, I can't remember them all anymore, but um, I had one that was a force multiplier. And, you know, they started, you know, the, the, the axle, the axle started getting shorter and shorter, and it just really became tough to shoot fingers. So I was nervous to shoot a, a mechanical release. I just kept feeling like something was going to hit me in the face. And so yeah. I'd always jerk and I just finally I got over it and went to a mechanical and you know, now I got the hinge release. I got the thumb release. I got all of it. You know, it's just continue yeah. to graduate through all. But I, my, the one bow I still have, I have a old Unings or a Jennings Unistar, an old heavy contraption. My buddy's got it in Minnesota for set up for carp shooting. And then I still have oh, yeah. in my possession an XI legend or an XI, oh, I'm wow. sorry, XI intrepid. It's like 48 inches axle to axle. Oh man, that I, I remember that bow just very little, um, but yeah, good stuff. On a side note, did did John did John used to work at Gander Mountain in the Alaska area? Yeah, so when we came, we graduated high school in '93 and came to Lacrosse, and yep. uh, he started working out. He started working at Gander, and okay. that's that's kind of how we got into the field he was in because he was he had a biology major, and I always asked him like, "What are you going to do?" He's he's all into he loved mushrooms and not like taking mushrooms, but like right. certain, you know, studying mushrooms and all this stuff, biology type stuff. So he was maybe going to be a biology teacher. And then one of his buddies that owns land in Iowa had left Gander, was working at Gander and became a sales rep for a different company. And he, he got John hired on as a sales rep. And so John became a sales rep with uh, Steve Kaufman associates. And then they were selling, uh, block targets. That was one of their targets. And so he met yep. Larry Pokerbeck up in uh, field logic and then ended up when Larry bought, um, I think it was Rocky mountain, which was the original rage. You know, they renamed it rage, but they had the rear deployed, um, mechanical head. I don't know which, which what it was called, but I thought it was Rocky had it. Um, yeah, yep. they, you know, field logic bought it and then they came up with rage. John went over there and started working with him. And then when, when Larry sold that to Faradine Industries or Faradine Outdoors, John went that way and stayed with Rage. Okay. And then is now they have 20 different companies they own. He, he was, I remember him at the NLS Gander Mountain and, and he might not remember me, but I was always, you know, when I was young, I'd ride my bike out there and I was always pestering him for, you know, archery questions, yeah. you know, back in the day, the, the Golden Eagle Sparrowhawk. I don't know how many times, you know, I would <laughs> ask him to, to pull it off the shelf and let me see it. Cause I just, I always wanted that, you know, I, I had the micromitis, but I always wanted the sparrow hawk and it was just kind of funny. And, and, uh, I'm pretty sure I was probably that pesky little kid for him. Oh, that's <laughs> you know? awesome. Good. But, good. Yeah. Well, so it was good. let's end with two things. Um, I'm going to ask you a question on tips and then a question on gear. So tips, uh, so that whitetail, because you are a whitetail maniac. What's your number yep. one tip to killing, you know, good whitetails consistently? Yeah. You know, it's hard to give just one tip, but you know, um, the tip that I, you know, kind of, we talked about it is, is that cold front, just knowing when, when you really, you know, if you can't get out a lot, 
you know, try to hunt the best times and, and that's, you know, the cold fronts or, or if you can catch a, a rising moon, you know, when I say that I love having, you know, five o'clock when it's still plenty light and you can see that moon way up in the sky, you know, you can connect, connect that with a, a cold front, you know, you just got to be in the stand. That's good. That's good. Well, you can give other tips too, if you want. Yeah. Well, there's no there's limit to the tips, and, no limit to what know, people want to know here, <laughs> JJ. Right. I, you know, in, in just the other tip, um, and something that I've really, really been doing a lot lately is, uh, you know, a bicycle. Um, I got a Rambo bike, but you know, I, you know, you could do it with any bicycle, I guess, you know, but, uh, using that to, you know, check trail cameras, go in and out of stands and stuff. It's just minimal, minimal scent on the ground. And it, it, they just seem to, um, you know, tolerate it just a little more than if you're actually walking past them on your way out or, or whatever. I've found that to be very helpful in the last couple of years. That probably will be my next purchase. I want one of those bikes really bad because I got some great spots to really really utilize them out here so i'm glad, I'm glad you mentioned that that's good yeah they are they are just game changer so what is one piece of gear that has helped jj be successful that you wouldn't leave home without as you're going into the outdoors oh boy piece of gear um you know shooting wise i'd say a piece of gear that's really helped me and and could really help a lot of other people uh is is and you had mentioned it having a hinge release um, I still, I, I started shooting one for competition, but I actually hunt with it as well. And it just keeps me, you know, cool and collected. You know, I, I know my routine. So when the shot does present itself, it doesn't matter how, how hard my nerves are, are taken off. You know, I can still, still, you know, use that hinge and make a nice clean shot. I would say that's one thing I'd, I'd never, never go out bow hunting without <laughs> That's good. You know, I was battling um, target panic for a while. And my target yep. panic was, I just think shot anticipation, basically. And, and I was jerking my bow arm. So okay. I would kind of like, I was almost like collapsing. So I was like squeezing and uh, I was using a, a, a trigger release. And so yep. I went to a thumb, re a thumb release and that helped a little bit. And then I talked to John. He's like, well, get, because uh, I, I use all his True Fire. He's, they own True Fire. So I use the yeah. Synapse and then the, um, I can't remember what the hinge is called. Now I even forget the name of it. Uh, I had um, one too. Um, Synapse and the True Fire. Uh, what, whatever it is. They're, the True yeah, Fire's yep. hinge release. So I, yep. I got it from him. And I'm telling you, one month straight of shooting that thing snapped my target panic completely. Yep. Uh, it was amazing. It, it is, it, it really, you know, people, people always often ask me how to, how to overcome target panic. And, you know, people will say, well, how do you not get target panic? And, and anybody that knows me from shooting competitions and, and just shooting for fun in leagues and stuff will know that, that I'm actually probably one of the worst ones that, that target panic will come out of nowhere and it'll shut me down. Um, you know, it, it just, it's very terrible. And, and for me, you know, it was a lot more when I was shooting a thumb trigger release is when it would really, really start to start to hit me. So now I just have learned just nothing but hinges. And that's why I hunt with one. I could, I could totally hunt with a, a thumb button or, or even a finger trigger and, you know, the short season and be okay with it. But for me, it's just a lot better to keep everything the same. And, and I just have one routine and I know it, you know, I have found this and tell me if you think I'm totally off base. I think the people that shoot 
more. Like, let's say I don't shoot a lot. And people yep. say like, well, how do you get target pain? I don't think anything of it. And the only time they pick their bow up is a week before season and they go out and they shoot a few arrows and then they go hunting. Maybe they kill a deer. Like right. they, they don't even have time to, to develop target panic. Um, exactly. They don't even know what it is. Yeah. So, because they're just drawn back punching, you know, they're not, they might be accurate at 20, 30 yards. You know, I'm, we're talking getting out there 50, 60, 70, 80, 90 yards in that yep. shot anticipation. That's, uh, that's what I found. People that don't shoot much, they don't ever really deal with it, but guys that shoot consistently and love to shoot and are continually fine tuning and practicing and working on skills, working on everything when it comes to shooting, those are guys that typically will, you'll run into target panic more. Maybe I, I don't know why it is mentally, obviously, but that's what I found. Yeah. What I found and you are, you are correct there. And, and it, this will kind of go with it when, when bows started getting the higher and higher and higher let offs is when I would start catching it the worst. Cause I can, you know, I can aim a lot better with a thumb trigger and, and I still would shoot it with back tension, but there was always that trigger. Well, when the high let off started coming, you know, into play, there wasn't anything pulling against me. So you're just kind of holding back nothing. And that, that pin would sit so good. Your mind is saying, why isn't the shot breaking? Why isn't the shot breaking? And pretty soon your mind's telling your finger to make the shot break rather than just, you know, continue continue making a nice clean shot and that was when it would hit me the the hardest so by shooting a hinge i just don't even have that trigger into play and even with the high let offs now i've I've found to be able to control it that makes total sense well so jj we i'll have, give you one more yeah so give me other, one more the other thing is is good optics is, go. is huge um i i, I kind of broke down and, and you know i've always had medium medium line optics you know but this year I, I got the got the the upper upper hand and you can definitely tell a difference when you're glassing for a long period of time to to that it you know makes a makes a huge difference what'd you get I there's no sponsor I, there's there's no sponsorships nope. on this show so i can say whatever okay, yeah, i want no. whatever i want <laughs> i don't have to worry yeah, about anybody no, no. i got swarovskis um i, I bought uh I bought the EL 10 by 42s and then uh, I got the um, ATX spotting scope with 65 and a 95 objective lens. And I haven't done anything with the 95 objective lens yet, but I had the, the 65 in Colorado and, and actually both between running, running the spotter on my tripod and the binos on my tripod. It was just, you know, unbelievable. JJ dropped some coin. Oh yeah. Yep. Yeah. I, I tell everybody, I tell everybody it was my wedding present and my wife didn't know it, but it was my wedding <laughs> present. <laughs> so I got the 10 by 42 ELs. I also have an older pair of 10 by 42 SLCs and, yeah. and those were great. The ELs are HD out here. We run majority the 15 by 56s. Um, and them are the SLCs SLCs. Yeah. On a tripod. It's unbelievable. Well, my, what I just did was I have a, a Swarovski spotter, the 20 by 60 by 80, okay. uh, the STS. And I bought that quite a few years ago. Well, I just bought an identical one um, to yep. it. And I'm running, going to run, uh, we're having a bracket made, so I'm going to run dual spotters. So, Oh, nice. Yeah, I'll be looking. And that's, that's kind of a, you know, they make doctors and COAs, the, the big eyes, you know, big eyes for uh, um, the, the Swaro scopes. But there's yep. something about that, just that dual spotter. So I'm gonna, I gonna have uh, 30 power fixed on those, and then eventually I'll upgrade to the 25 by 50 
um, wide angle lens. So then you can rotate in, and when you, you're, you're clicking 25, 30, 35, 40, 50 power on them dual spotters. And when you're, when you're chasing coos deer out here, or mule deer in these big flats, you yeah. know, I'll, I'll run my 15s, you know, early and something I can go after. And then later in the day, when you really got to pick it apart, you can throw them dual spotters up and, and extend another mile. So it's, uh, uh, it's, it's really, yeah, it's really incredible. I mean, it's, I never thought I would do it, but the more I've gotten into hunting and hunting and long range and and I go help my buddy, that's a guide quite a bit. I'm like, man, he went from the 15s to dual spotters last year. We were, um, he called me up and and we kind of just kind of bounced back and forth and he's a guide. So he never gets to hunt and he was going to go hunting. He's like, I'm pulling my bow out and I'm going hunting. I'm like, well, let me come down and help. Like, you know, let me, let me just come down and be a set of eyes for you. So we're glassing this new basin and we found some water and uh, we had to drive way back on this road and glassing this basin up and I'm, you know, I'm panning it pretty quick. It's later in the day. So we're slow, kind of going a little bit slower, looking in the shady spots and I'm looking for deer and looking for deer with my 15s and I didn't have dual spotters yet. And I put them away and him and I are joking and he's like, Hey, I want you to look through these dual spotters. Cause I was, I was debating why I wanted to get them and yeah. his eyes are wider than mine. So I'm like, oh, I'm trying to get him set at me. He goes, hold on, let me look and I'll, I'll focus on something. I saw and he, all of a sudden he goes, Oh, wait. I got a deer. He goes, Oh, I got a good buck. Big old, like a 170 class mule deer with a yep. bunch of does. It had to be a mile and a half, maybe farther away. I mean, wow. once I pulled my 15s up, I could see it. You know, I could yep. see it good. But you move over Not to like the, that. oh man, 15 more power. I mean, he had the 30 yeah. power fixed on there. And I'm like, Yeah, yeah, I need, I got to, I got to go with that setup. The only <laughs> thing that sucks about it is, carrying it up on the high points we glass from you know you're carrying right. dual spotters and it's heavy but it's worth it man oh for sure yeah I, I the the one year in colorado i had an 85 millimeter um vortex spotter out there and it was a great spotter um but i remember you know i think like the fourth or fifth day of the hunt i did, like was just taking my binos and leaving the spotter because i got sick of carrying it up the mountain because it was so heavy so this year when I had the 65 and the 95 objective lens, I left the 95 at home. I wasn't going to carry that up the mountain in that 65, you know, that, that did everything I needed out, out there, you know, as far as, uh, as far as the glass and stuff up. But I, I tended to use my binos a lot on the tripod too. And then I got to thinking, you know, a pair of 15 by 56s might, might not be too bad either, but I oh, haven't man. talked to yeah. the wife about those. Yet. Yeah. <laughs> the, and they're more reasonable than any other ones. 15s are, are pretty reasonable. Um, okay. but those tens, I mean, there's many times. So I, I have the outdoorsman stud on both of them on all my yep. binos. So then I use their, their attachment piece on my tripods. And there's a lot of times where I'll glass with my 15s. And then if I'm glassing a little bit closer, I'll just pop them off and put my tens on the tripod. Cause I get a bigger field of view. <clears throat> and yeah. even if I get a little bit lazy and want to go up those tens, those ELs are so incredible that oh, yeah. obviously they're five power difference, but man, I can pick up a lot of game with my yep. tens. I mean, there's a lot of times I just throw those up and, and I'm good, you know? And so they're, yeah, in Colorado this year, I found that, you know, when it was just, when it was just getting the light, you know, the sun wasn't quite, you know, nothing was, it was just still that, that dark, but still could see. And I'd throw those 10 by 42s on my tripod and I was, I was picking out mule deer and it's like, okay. And then once I'd find them, then I'd switch over to the spotter and, and to see exactly what it was, but it, it was so nice just being able to have, have that light and feel the view. And just, it was super, super easy to find them a little better in the morning with those binos than it was the spotter. Yeah. When you get into spotting, um, and glassing there, you're exactly right. I mean, 
optics make a tremendous difference. So yep. that's a good tip. But buddy, man, it's been a great time. It's we went about an hour and forty minutes here. So yeah, for sure. I know it's you been are a great conversation. Yeah, I know you're getting ready to pack and you're headed to Nebraska. So you killed Minnesota, killed Wisconsin. You're killing more stuff than winter. Man, you just <laughs> you're, wherever you're going, you're leaving to. you're leaving carcasses. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I'm hoping, I'm hoping I'm gonna take off in the morning, head to Nebraska and and uh, I got to be home next Thursday. So I'll be over there for, for a few days and uh, then I'll shoot home and hopefully have some luck. I'm not, uh, I don't, I never have any expectations. I just love being out there. Well, you got luck on your side, beginner's luck in Nebraska. You got good hunting skills. You know how to shoot. And uh, sounds like you're going to a good property. So you'll, I'll, I'll be watching your social media. And uh, when I do the show notes and all that kind of stuff, I'll, I'll uh, get everybody on your social media so they can follow along with you and all that. But JJ, I really appreciate you jumping on, man. I, I really do. I've, I've wanted to connect with you for a while as I watch you, you know, just pile up animals. And I know you'd be a great conversation. I've known you for a long time and always respected you and you're a good dude and back from the hometown where I'm from and, and don't get any better than that. So appreciate you jumping on the Fit Archer podcast and, and sharing some stories, tips, tactics, and gear and, and wish you nothing but success the rest of the year and, and onward. Hey, I appreciate you having me, and and uh, I'll be looking forward to seeing some of your Old West picks as well. You, you pay attention to those Havelina picks. All I right. will for sure. <laughs> All right, buddy. Have good good luck and take care. God bless you. Thank you. You too. Bye See now. Ya.